Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, May the 14th. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Sylvan. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can check out the show on iTunes. Uh, give me a review. Let me know what you think. It helps out the show quite a bit. We're also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Uh, Interesting show ahead for you today. We have our buddy from MetsmerizedOnline.com, Michael Mayer, joining us in a little bit. Uh, I actually had a chance to catch up with Michael this morning before the Mets took on the Milwaukee Brewers. Not that much would have changed in our conversation as the theme of our conversation was the depth in the organization, something that the Mets are really going to need, especially in the pitching department. So we're trying to get a little update. Michael covers the minor leagues. Uh, checks out a bunch of games, talks to scouts. So there's if there's somebody on MetsmerizedOnline.com that's better, let me know. I don't think there is, and you can check him out on Twitter, at Mike Mayer, M-M-O. So he'll be joining us a little bit. I had a chance to catch up with him this morning, and you'll hear that interview later on. Where am I going to start? And, and there's so many different ways, and I almost wish we – we did the live call in this week, but you can't predict when you're going to do the live call. Cause I think the live call in would have been interesting after the Mets blew a six run lead. And really the way they lost today and the player hitting the home run and basically dunking on their heads. That's really what happened today. The Brewers had way too much fun uh, at the expense of the Mets in a game that you would never think in a million years with this pitching staff with the way this bullpen has performed, that they would lose. And when it rains, it pours. But the word I'm going to give you 
to start the podcast here is investment because that's what many stakeholders in the New York Mets have to think about here on Mother's Day going forward. Investment. The first investment here is obviously the ownership investing in the team. And you could disagree or argue that it should be more or whatnot, but the Wilpons have invested in this team. The, the, the payroll is significantly higher than it was just a few years ago. Granted, it's still not necessarily in the top half of the league or in the top quarter of the league or among the league's best, but there's more of an investment. And you could debate that, and that's not what we're here to do today. The general manager has to decide what assets to invest in a team. Because every year, that's a decision that could have an impact going forward. And then the fans. The fans invest their time. And that's the kicker in all this. Because the first two stakeholders, that's their job to invest. They make money out of investing. The team invests, I mean, the, play, the, uh, the fans invest time. And after what you've seen over the last few days, you've got to wonder if this team is worth investing in any of the stakeholders. Because right now you have a starting pitching staff that's completely a mess. And I don't want to hear about injuries. You, if you follow me on Twitter at Mike Silver Media, you know, I saw some of the narratives, especially those coming from the Mets blog quarters, about injuries. Injuries have nothing to do with the Mets starting pitching being the worst in baseball coming into today's action, or at the very least worse than National League. They have an ERA over five. That's bad. I mean, when, when to think about that, and the downgrade from Noah Syndergaard to whatever is in his place, whether it had been Montero or now Tommy Malone, that has nothing to do with it. Every one of these pitchers, even today, DeGrom was a lot better, and it is an offensive ballpark, so keep that in mind. Each one of these pitchers are struggling with their command. Each of these pitchers are eminently hittable. None of them look like they have a clue up there, and none of them have the killer instinct, and none of them are going out there competing and fighting through adversity to win. And that was not the case a year ago. Other than Matt Harvey, who was physically ailed, they have competed night in and night out, even when they were injured, when DeGrom was injured. Uh, you know, when Matt's had his issues with the bone spurs, they competed. And that's why they were even in the race and were able to get the, the wild card because they competed. And I don't think this team is competing. And the killer about all this is that the offense has actually been pretty good without Cespedes. So you guys talk about injuries and Cabrera, who's been ailing, and obviously Cespedes is out. Familia, I mean, there's another what you would call thunderbolts to the to the team. Uh, Familia pretty much down for the season, and that's that's a killer. And you might have saw how that impacts them today, because now you're one less reliever, uh, you know, one more reliever short on a team that's barely getting five innings out of their starters, if that. But there's some options, and Michael Mayer will give us there. I think there's some options. You've already seen Seawald come up. And I think there might be a couple options down in AAA if you need to go down there for the bullpen. So finding a bullpen arm and investing in that part of the team, I don't think will be a problem. You can't tell me, at the very least, that I should be investing in this team 
led by Terry Collins and the pitching coach Dan Worthen with the worst starting pitching in the game going forward with these two guys at the helm because nothing's ever going to get better. And I keep telling you guys, and I know you're probably rolling your eyes saying, well, what did Terry have to do? What did he do wrong today? Well, I mean, he didn't. He's like even said he's managed the bullpen better, surprisingly, over the last few weeks. Ever since that debacle in Florida uh, back uh, on Easter weekend, when he should have had in Jerry Blevins against Christian Yelich. But even so, you know, he knows that Addison Reed historically, anyone who's watched them, doesn't do well coming in middle of innings. And he might have been better bringing in a Robles in that situation. Even though I'm not a Robles fan, and you saw why earlier in the weekend with what happened in that debacle of the fifth inning. But he never seems to learn. And right now, I don't know if this team believes he could win. And that falls on the manager. But I don't think the manager is the one that's going to take the fall here. That's too anti-Sandy Alderson. That's too chaotic. You know the message that they have to send to this group? They have to do something dramatic. They have to do something like they want to save this season. They have to do something like Steve Phillips did in 1999. And they have to fire some coaches. And the one that has to go is Dan Worthen. They fired Rick Peterson and Willie Randolph for far less. Far less. There's no reason why Dan Worthen should be landing in Arizona. Perfect scenario. Bring in Frank Viola from Vegas. I don't know where the 51s are. I'll look it up. They're probably somewhere in the Pacific Coast League. They're right there near Arizona. Dan Worthen shouldn't be part of this anymore. Dan Worthen has done nothing with a, a crown jewel of a resource in this pitching. Now, is every injury his fault? No, you can't blame the blood clot on Dan Worthen. But I will tell you, it's quite interesting that three pitchers under his watch have had thoracic outlet syndrome. I don't know if there's any uh, usage correlation, but it is kind of ironic that that happened. It's kind of ironic that bullpens get abused under him. It's kind of ironic that every pitcher that seems to come into his purvey, under his watch, doesn't ever seem to really get any better. And you guys argue with me. Give me an example of which one of these pitchers has maximized their potential. Noah Syndergaard's going to be out most of this year. Harvey's a mess. DeGrom is regressing. You know, Matt's, you know, still hurt. Lugo hurt. Gazelman's regressing under him. Anytime he sunk his claws into any of these guys, they regress. Look at his career. Look at his history. The San Diego Padres brought Dave Stewart in the year after he was fired. They went to the World Series. Do the research. Randy Johnson was horrible when he had him. I have no idea. Have you ever, ever, ever heard of a pitching coach that survived the purging of the manager and coaching staff like this guy did? I was shocked. I still remember when I got the press release because I get the Mets press releases in my email. And I remember when Jerry Manuel was fired. I'm like, oh, okay. I was expecting the whole coaching staff to go. No, Dan Worthen stays. And we've been sitting here for now almost 10 years with this guy with pitchers getting abused out of the bullpen, bullpens that are just a mess, starters that go down. And you're going to tell me this is the best these guys have to offer. Forget Terry for a minute because I just can't stand him. He's been the wrong manager for this team for a long time. 
But the answer that Worthen has for the struggles of this starting rotation is, well, they're trying too hard. Well, it's your job to find out why that's the case. I have never seen two individuals that are spectators in their own existence, and that's Terry Collins and Dan Worthen. And nobody challenges them. Did anybody ask Dan? Well, if they're trying too hard, Dan, well, what are you doing about it? And I know it's some of these guys on Twitter and you guys are saying, well, you know, it's not Dan's fault that they're not executing. Well, he's the guy in charge of them. Just like it probably wasn't the hitting coach's fault, Tom Robson, when he got fired in 1999, he took the fall for a team that had a lot of offensive talent, not hitting. And was it was any coincidence when Mickey Brantley was brought in by Steve Phillips during that, uh, I guess, that late Saturday night uh, scenario when, at Yankee Stadium that they started hitting and the Mets went on a great streak? Eh, probably not, but it sent the message, we are not going to stand pat and accept this. What, you think the shakeup that this team needs is Jose Reyes in center field? That's the answer? Is this guy for real? Is Sandy, and, and I understand. I told you the quote from Dan O'Dowd, the former GM of the Rockies on MLB Network Radio, that patience is the one thing that you need to be successful in this game, and patience is the one thing that's in short supply in this game. It's, it's that conundrum. But they've been very patient with this pitching coach, and I am so tired of hearing about the Worth and Slider. As if he's the only guy in the world that could teach a slider. Do I think Frank Viola is going to be a good pitching coach? You know what? Josh Smoker goes down to Las Vegas and throws almost five shotted innings the other day. He was getting clobbered up here. And you guys, I'm, this is not fake outrage from me. You, if you listen to this thing every week, you know me. I'm pretty pragmatic. I've been on the case of these two guys going, I would have fired this entire coaching staff after the World Series. Actually, I would have made the change then. It, was, it would have been you know, it would have been hard with Worthen, but Terry should have set, took his uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, and you should have moved on. You had a chance to, hey, Terry, here, retire, get lost. Now, politically, that's tough, to, but I would have found a way to make it happen if that were my team. Because he, he got outmanaged by Ned Yost. Think about that for a minute. But again... Sandy Alderson and upheaval is not necessarily in his DNA. So the next best thing is to fire a coach, and the pitching coach has to take the fall. You cannot wake up and be the owner of this team or a fan of this team and continue to feel good about this pitching staff when they are the worst starting rotation in baseball. You're going to tell me that Gazelman, maybe that was a small sample size, he had about 14 starts so far in his big league career. And a good chunk of them last year. Harvey, I understand, coming back from thoracic outlet. And I'll get to that in a minute. DeGrom, I know that Syndergaard is hurt. Wheeler's actually been pleasantly good his first season back from Tommy John. And to me, Wheeler is probably going to be a league average pitcher. That's who he is. I've never felt that Wheeler is, as much as I think he's a good pitcher with some talent, I think he's going to walk too many batters. He's going to be too inconsistent. He's going to be a guy who's going to be a league average pitcher, maybe slightly above league average. That's his ceiling. I've always felt that. I've never been a huge Wheeler fan. He's probably going to get hurt again because his mechanics, although they're better, are not great. But you're going to tell me every one of these pitchers are losing their command and their control and are messed up at the same time and has nothing to do with the pitching coach? Come on. So you want me to invest. 
I got to question whether investing in this podcast every week is worth my time with this team. Because I'm going to tell you right now, they're on pace to lose 90 games. Do I think they're going to do that? No. I still think this team is going to make a run. Because I think there's a lot here. And I can't imagine this starting rotation, these pitchers, being this bad all year. Especially DeGrom. But by God, you have to wonder. At some point in the next couple of weeks, this thing starts to go bad. Ten games under 500, whatever. The real question is going to be is when they're going to sell and what they could do to regroup for next year. And I'm going to tell you something. So help me there. There's no chance I'm going to uh, be happy and sit back, sit back, and no chance that it will be tolerable for the media if this team goes into the tank and have this manager, this pitching coach, come back again and hear the, the same BS. Every ounce of energy has taken me from not using the actual word because there's so much BS when it comes to defending these guys. And I understand Fred Wilpon likes them, and that's really all that matters, and it's his team. And if he wants to sit back and see his investment go to crap, because right now it's going to crap under the manager and the pitching coach, then you know what? He's, he's dumber than I thought. And this is a guy who probably should have known he was getting swindled by Madoff. So he's done some dumb things in his life, but this might be right up there. Not as dumb as Madoff, but up there. As far as Matt Harvey, because that was really originally where I was going to go with the weekend. And, the, and, and I figured, you know, I figured with this podcast I was going to be able to say, hey, team's kind of right around 500. You know, with all that's happened, that's not that. And we were going to get into the whole Harvey scenario. Let me put Harvey succinctly in a box for you. The biggest concern that nobody's talking about is thoracic outlet syndrome with Harvey. Because if you look at the pictures and Google it, and it's any list you get might not be perfect. But, but Tommy John surgery, the confidence I have of a player coming back from Tommy John surgery is imminently higher than someone coming back from any other kind of ailment. Anything with the elbow is fixable for the most part. Shoulders, problem. Thoracic outlet could be problematic. I mean, I know Chris Carpenter had it. I know uh, uh, Josh Beckett had it, and Josh Beckett had it and, and never really seemed to be the same. It was at the end of his career. Um, I'm trying to think here uh, of other pitchers here. Uh, Dylan G had Now, Dylan G had... Uh, you know, had come back and um, pitched the, the 2013, the year after, and wasn't bad. But, you know, he, he, he kind of went down the hill again after that. Here, I'm going to throw you a name of a pitcher that had a lot of potential, and I believe had it, was Jeremy Bonderman. And he went right down the tubes after that. And he was young. I think he had it uh, at the age of... I think at the age of 24, if I'm not mistaken, 24, 25. So nobody's really talking about the fact that this surgery could potentially be a death knell for a pitcher. Now, I thought Bobby Ojeda on uh, WFAN made an incredibly good point that he felt that maybe Harvey's trying to overcompensate for the diminished velocity and throw harder. And that's where his command and control are coming into place. Command is way off. I mean, he and Gazelman are 2-0, and 2-1 and on almost every batter. You can't win that way. You can't. You can't. 
No chance. There's not a, a pitcher in the world that's good enough to get behind hitters in this league. They know what's going to come. It changes the whole routine. It changes your inability to have any kind of deception. And your fastball, I don't care how hard it is. It could be 98, 99. They'll zone in on it. They'll clock it. They're big leaguers. They get used to this stuff. That's what they're paid for. Especially now. You look. There's more runs being scored in the National League this year than in the American League. So you're now in the American League. Remember that. You're now playing in like the old American League, which is amazing. Without the DH, there's more runs scored. We'll see if that continues. So you could talk about Harvey and accountability, and that's part of it, and Harvey getting dumped by some supermodel. Look, Harvey's got to realize that the reason he's Matt Harvey and he has that life is because of baseball. And if he forgets baseball is the reason for it, he's going to quickly become yesterday's news. And then he could hang out at One Oak like every other wannabe schlub out there. I'm not even going to focus on that. Because if he's too stupid to realize that, then there's no hope. The real issue is that the Tommy, uh, the TOS surgery. And there's really not a lot of – you don't really have a story based at least on what I see. And you know what, tweet at me. Let me know of someone coming back and being their old dominant self. I think Chris Carpenter is probably the only one that you can maybe point out that came back. And I just don't know. And I'll look it up while I'm with you guys here. I just don't know. Um, when he had it. I'm trying to find that right now. Um, there's actually something beyond the box score uh, that went through something here there. Uh, that Josh Beckett, the name comes up, Chris Carpenter. Uh, no. No, Chris Carpenter, like, uh, he, he went down the hill. Actually, Chris Carpenter had it in 2011. And if you look at Chris Carpenter after 2011, Chris Carpenter, wrong Chris Carpenter. There was another Chris Carpenter. Chris Carpenter, yeah, he went downhill pretty quickly. Yep, after 2011, he had pitched 237 innings that year, pitched a big game in the postseason. Now he was done. So there's really, there's really not a lot of benchmark here of success. And Chris Carpenter was in his mid to late 30s, so that's a little bit different, but you know where I'm going there with this. But let me tell you one thing, and I'll leave you on this note before we take a break and get to the Michael Mayer interview. And I think you'll enjoy it because Michael and I had some good things tossing around uh, when it comes to the organization. The old Atlanta Braves would bring in pitchers all the time, and they would get better. Journeyman, John Thompson comes to name, Russ Ortiz. I mean, guys would come and pitch for the Braves, journeyman, even if it was only for a year and they'd win. It seems like any Jared Wright. Anybody would win 15 games in a Braves uniform. And you had to credit Bobby Cox. You had to credit Leo Mazzoni. Nobody gets better here. They don't, that, you know, let me ask you a question. You're willing to go to the mat with Dan Worthen as the guy that you feel you need to have as the Mets pitchers. You think the Mets pitchers would be any worse with another guy? Could they be any worse? I love how people defend Terry and Wharton. Why? It's not like this is uh, Miller Huggins here. It's not like this is Tony La Russa. It's not like Tony La Russa. It's not like we have Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan in the dugout. This is not a great coaching staff. Other than Kevin Long, they all you know are nothing. They're bad. And Kevin Long is an export. And they made changes to the hitting coach because they knew the old hitting coach it wasn't working. And this is work because Kevin Long has had a good impact on a lot of hitters. 
you could argue with maybe a negative impact in some ways because they get too pull happy, but for the most part, he's had a great impact. It's a bad coaching staff. And right now, the solution is simple. You fire the pitching coach and make a statement. You bring Frank Viola up and put him in as the pitching coach. That's what I do. Now, is that going to solve everything? No. But at least it'll put everybody on warning. Let's listen to a different voice here. Let's sh- let's show the team that there's accountability for bad play. You know what? I know Sandy Koufax will be upset. Oh, well, Fred will have to make amends with him, and maybe you know Sandy won't show up one year to Port St. Lucie, and Fred has to sit into the, in the bleachers and watch the game and, and talk to 55 Dodgers with somebody else. I know that's the other thing. Well, Sandy Koufax is a big fan of Worthen and Collins, so can't touch them. So now Sandy Koufax is running. I remember that was a report. Big Mike Puma at the Post put that out there at one point. And I just sat there and I said, this is ridiculous. Anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Um, we're going to have Michael Mayer, Metsmorized Online, covers the minors at Mets Miners, does a lot of great work for Metsmorized Online. Let's find out if there's any depth. Are there other options for the New York Mets on the starting front, on the, on the bullpen front? We'll check in with some of the top prospects. Maybe they need a spark with an Ahmed Rosario, a Dominic Smith getting called up. The offense is not the problem right now. You know, there are a lot of crooked numbers being put up, and it's amazing to me. If you had told me the kind of runs they've been scoring, I never would have thought they'd be 16 and 20. Never. Never would have thought that. So anyway, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMarinedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you can check out the show on iTunes. Leave me a review. SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with Michael Mayer right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets podcast, and uh, with what's going on with the Mets, uh, who better to bring in than from Mets Miners and uh, a contributor over at MetsMarsedOnline.com is our buddy Michael Mayer. Michael, uh, how you doing on, uh, I guess it's a rainy weekend here, and uh, not so great out in Milwaukee for the Mets either. How's uh, how's everything going? It's going all right. Um, uh, yeah, better than the Mets, I would say, right now. Well, that's for sure, and I, I've been meaning to get you on because... Obviously, with the injuries and the underperformance, depth now is going to be tested for this team, a team that responded uh, from that point of view last year very well. Uh, Not so well so far this year. Obviously, there's only so much depth every organization could have. Steve Phillips, former Mets GM, was on WOR earlier this week, and 
obviously the question to a former GM is, you know, what kind of trade can the Mets make? What can they do? And he, he basically said exactly what I think you would agree with and I certainly agree with. In May, it's very hard to get anything going. It's just too early. And the way that the game is now, you could really, uh, as a team, feel you're in contention until August. So you got to go to your, you know, internally. You got to go to your depth. And, and let's start with the starting pitching, which is now the worst in baseball going into Sunday's game. Do the Mets have anything that they could count on if they wanted to, you know, let's take Seth Lugo and 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 Matt's out for a second that they could go to if they wanted to pass on a Gazelleman or uh, you know Harvey needs some kind of work or something like that. What kind of depth do they have, if any, in your opinion? Well. The the options are really pretty slim there, too, behind those guys. I mean, the best thing for the Mets right now really would be for um, Lugo and or Mats to come back. But um, I know a couple of people I've seen write articles about Tyler Pill, who's had a great year for Vegas. Um, to me, it's kind of a fluky thing. It's his fourth or fifth year that he's dabbled in um, double, triple A, and he's still not striking out guys. So to me, Pill Pill's not really an option for Mets fans who want to see him as an option. Think of uh, kind of like Logan Verrett with less velocity. I mean, that's that's the type of pitcher you're looking at with Pill. Um, really, then you Ricky Knapp is another guy who's he's. A four-pitch guy doesn't throw too hard. Um, he struggled in Vegas a little bit. Um, if it came between those two, I would go with Knapp because um, I think he has a higher upside um, of the two. Maybe right now the best choice might be uh, P.J. Conlon, who we saw a little bit in Major League Spring Training, um, the lefty from Ireland. He's pitched great over his last two starts for Binghamton. Um, he's got a 2.88 ERA with them and a whip just over one. Um, I think right now, if you go to the minor leagues for a starter, I know he's he's got limited exposure. This is his first time in Double A and has, hasn't pitched in Triple A. But I still think of the three guys I've mentioned, he probably ends up being the better major league pitcher anyway. So if if they're looking for a starter, he's he's the guy that I would probably call. If if you really think about it, and I don't, you know, it depends how you look at it because I, I think things are changing a little bit with the mindset. It used to be the way I I always saw it is once you get to Double A and you're really polished, maybe you need to spend some time in Triple A. But teams are very willing to have the jump because Triple A has become somewhat of a wasteland for four A's and veterans trying to get back. Uh, with the situation in Vegas with the Conlin, you know, strikeout per inning down in Binghamton. Do you feel he needs to go to Vegas to prove himself, knowing the environment in the PCL, uh, knowing how detrimental that could be to a pitcher? Uh, is 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 it a matter of you know maybe uh, you know throw him into the fire in the big leagues? How much worse could it be than Vegas? Is that a is is that a correct way of thinking at it? The way I'm putting it. I mean, I think I think that can be correct. I mean, it obviously depends on the situation, the pitcher and stuff, but. Look at Lugo last year. I mean, Lugo was getting roughed up in Vegas after pitching well in Binghamton. So it's it's really tough to evaluate pitching in Vegas. And like you said, sometimes more and more teams are jumping to, hey, this guy's pitching well in double A. That's where a ton of the talent is. Um, instead of 
AAA where you see a ton of uh, 29, 30-year-old 4A guys. Um, so I, I, I would have no problem. I'm not saying I – well, I would have no problem jumping Conlin and having him pitch on a couple of starts in the majors. He's, I mean, it's not – it's not the perfect idea, but the Mets are kind of running out of those when it comes to starting pitching right now. It's for sure, and I have with me Michael Mayer, uh, com contributor, Mets Miners contributor, uh, at the main Mets on uh, Twitter, uh, does great work, and always love checking in with him as he, he combs this minor league system and knows these guys and talks to people, and, and definitely uh, at this time, that's what we need to learn about or uh, talk about because that's where the solutions are going to come for the Mets. Josh Smoker had a good outing in Vegas uh, starting. I know he's trying to work on some things. I'm not suggesting he can start, um, but he hasn't been good out of the bullpen this year. Uh, any thought of maybe at some point Josh Smoker making that transition, maybe not in the near term, in the, in the long term? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, he once he added his slider last year, he has become a three-pitch pitcher. So it, and he was a starter before he uh, injured his arm in the Nationals organization. So I, I don't think it's completely out of the realm. But everything that, uh, even uh, Pedro Lopez, the AAA manager last night, said he was, he's going to get a couple more starts for the 51s unless the Mets need a reliever. So, it still sounds like the Mets see him as a reliever. They're just trying to get him uh, more opportunities to work on his changeup, which has gotten a little flat, and his uh, slider, which he hasn't had great command of. Ultimately, uh, him um, getting back to kind of the pitcher he was last year in the minor leagues and improving that slider, he would be a big boost to the Mets' bullpen. Uh, he showed flashes of it again this year. He had a couple of good outings, so it's the Mets' bullpen is going to need help, and ultimately I think that's where he probably uh, ends up back being into. You said a couple of things I want to expand upon there, but let's start with the Mets' bullpen, which has been good. I mean, and I said this in the open. I thought in the beginning of the year, my concern was the offense. It was going to be streaky. It might have been a bully offense. But if they put up a crooked number, uh, you know, score four runs a game, they'll be fine. That's not the case right now. They're not even getting five innings out of their starters. Thankfully, the bullpen has been good. Uh, they're going to get burnt out. They're going to need extra arms. You've already seen that with Seawald. I'm not counting on Familia coming back at any point. Uh, is there – put Smoker aside again because obviously he's going to be one of the first to get called up. Uh, McGowan, uh, Ben Rowan, is there anything in AA or AAA? Uh, Baldonado is a, is a, is a lefty that uh, has, was impressive in, in AA, just came up to AAA. Are there names that the fans should be looking towards that are the next wave of bullpen arms because – I don't think it's in the Mets' best interest to overpay significantly later this year for bullpen arm unless they're really a contender. Not just let me see if I could get into the playoffs, a serious contender if they weather this storm. Yeah, and like you were talking about earlier uh, with Steve Phillips and starting pitching, I mean, it goes the same for relief pitching too. There's, uh, I mean, the market for that in May is pretty limited. So you kind of have to go and look internally. And some of the guys you mentioned, Kevin McGowan, um, he struggled a little bit lately, but he uh, that that kind of came after a spot start he had to make with the Mets calling up guys like Gil Martin and Montero. Um, Alec McGowan, he throws hard, um, strikeout per inning, which is something to look for in Vegas more so. I mean, than ERAs, that's that's rough to evaluate. 
So, and he's a former starter, so he's a guy that can give you uh, multiple innings. He can go two, three innings if need be. Um, the Submariner, Rowan, that you talked about, he he had a couple of terrible outings to start the year, but he's got a 2.61 ERA and striking out a batter per inning over his last 10. He's looked much, much better, keeping the ball down more. Um, Baldonado, the lefty you mentioned, I just saw him in Binghamton um, in person. And he's the type of guy like Conlon I would have no reservations about. Well, he's in AAA now, but I wouldn't have had any reservations about him jumping straight from AA to the, tri- uh, to the majors. Um, lefty that tops out at 94 and has a very good changeup, and he uh, throws a curveball too. And he struck, struck out 25 guys in 17 innings already this year. He's uh, He's been effective against righties and lefties. I Baldonado is definitely a guy I think we uh, will see at some point this year. And maybe a little farther down, looking for relief help, uh, hard-throwing Tyler Bachelor is a guy to keep an eye on in St. Lucie. Um, he's in his second year coming back from uh, arm surgery, and he's got 21 strikeouts in 13 innings, and he tops out 98-99. Um, he's a little older because he missed so much time w- with injury, so I think... I think he had a little issue earlier this year, but he's back healthy now. I think once he's healthy, he'll be in Binghamton soon, and then you're looking at him if you need a guy later this year. So I think there's a couple of guys that I I think could help right now. It's just a matter of who they wanted to go to, and I think uh, once they finally sour on Montero, McGowan is the guy that I would kind of bring up to take his spot. Never saw a prospect get so many chances like Montero, and you, you hit the nail on the head. You thought they should have dumped him off the 40-man last year. We had that conversation, I remember, very vividly. Uh, you know, you look at the 40-man, and you look at the choices the Mets had to make, and I think Tommy Malone is not a bad plug-in. Uh, when you look at his numbers, when he's consistently pitched in the rotation and not flip-flop back and forth, he's a six-innings, three-run three, three run guy, and right now, you know what? Uh, if you're the Mets, you'd take that, and you probably could win a lot of ball games with the way the offense is uh, doing that. But any regrets on, and I know the 40-man and the tight spot the Mets were in played into this, giving away Verrett, uh, Logan Verrett, and uh, and Gabriel Noah. Uh, they had 10-12 deep last year. They had to go. They really, realistically, after you gave away some guys, uh, unless you counted Montero, you were only about 7 or eight deep, and that's usually not enough to get through a season. Yeah, starting pitching wise, obviously. The the choice to um, keep Montero over you know it was uh, that was something that I was surprised with and didn't agree with at the time. And I mean, we we got our hope Montero got our hopes up with a a good spring, but he's he's done what Montero's done in the major leagues, and that's get hit and get hit pretty hard, and walk guys. So, you know, he actually got uh, one good outing, six shutout innings for the Orioles earlier this year. Unfortunately, he got, uh, I guess it's the Mets jinx. He's on the DL right now with a hamstring (laughs) strain. But, uh, yeah, that's something Verrett and, you know, both, to me, had more value than Montero. You you knew that both of those guys had had at least Verrett, especially a lot of people ripped him, but he, he actually pitched fairly well when he was in the bullpen and didn't have to make six or seven starts in a row because he's not that 
he doesn't have that type of stuff that he can do that. And you know what to me was another guy who was in that Verrett mold, and I bo- both of them had better upside than Montero, and both had pitched better than Montero. That was just something that sh- struck me as a little weird. But then again, on the flip side of that, going to the bullpen, um, Josh Edgen has been very good for the Mets and a pleasant surprise, and that's one guy a lot of people wanted to cut bait with. But luckily the Agreed. Mets were... The Mets were, uh, they hold on to him and give him a little more time coming off of arm surgery, which which really was the right thing to do. They, uh, they'd they hoped they'd see more velocity, and he has. He's about two or three miles per hour faster this year than he was last year. So so there's, there's a little bit on both ends there, but the, the Yanoa one and Verrett just selling both of them off um, was a little surprising to me, especially when you had Montero still on the 40. That's the bigger end of that part. Yeah, and a lot of that is politics, as you know. You know, Montero's a hype prospect. A lot harder to swallow him going somewhere else doing well than maybe Logan Verrett or uh, or, or Noah. I have Michael Mayer with me, MetsMiners.net, uh, MetsMiners.online.com. Uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, um, and And again, this is a 40-man, and this is what a lot of fans forget and a lot of pundits don't realize. You can't just go out and say the Mets should have brought in a veteran like Doug Fister. Or brought back Bartolo Colon. It all plays into the 40-man roster, which, again, keep going back to, had a, was tight, and, and there was going to be tough decisions to make if those veterans were brought in. But knowing the injuries that players were coming back from and knowing you probably needed more than seven starters at some point, it can be a fair conversation. Uh, do you think the Mets dropped the ball not going that route? Although you haven't heard too many great things about uh, a Tim Lincecum. I mean, I know Fister's – I still can't find it. He's – can't find who he signed with. No one's. Really, it's like this big mystery, and I always well, like Doug Fister, uh, someone like that. So uh, I'm curious your thoughts. I I would have signed someone like that, but the the kind of thing I was talking to someone the other day about is those type of guys are kind of now with the market landing later in the season. Those guys are kind of waiting, like Fister is, mm-hmm. for injuries to happen and to go right to a big league deal instead of signing uh, minor league deals and going half to pitch in the minors. So it's it's tougher to bring in a guy like that when the Mets thought they had seven starting pitching, seven starting pitchers, and th- those guys don't want to be stuck eighth or ninth on the depth chart. So I, it's tougher earlier to do that. Once Lugo and Mats went down, Fister is – definitely the guy that I would have offered a major league deal to because that's what he's been looking for. So other than Fister, though, there there isn't a ton out there. I mean, I, how much more does Lincecum have in the tank than looking like Rafael Montero out there? So I think the, the route, I think the Tommy Malone thing is the route that the Mets should have went, and he pitched well in one, his one start so far. And I think, like you said, he's the type of guy that's, he, I mean, six runs. I mean, six innings and three runs is the type of guy that he's going to be for you. And right now, that's that's a striking improvement for the Mets rotation. So, I think that's the route the Mets will continue to look at as the waiver wire. And I think that's something that Alderson's had some success with in the past is getting some uh, arms that can help out on the waiver wire. So I think that's the route they'll still go. You talked about Josh Smoker earlier in command, and to me, the biggest thing I see with most every pitcher on this staff 
starters specifically, is their command is off. I mean, Gazelman, I mean, every start, 2-0, 2-1, Harvey, same thing, to a certain degree, DeGrom, uh, their command is off. And to me, a whole, a whole rotation where that's the case is very peculiar. Now, Smoker goes down. I know it's AAA and seems to have had his first positive step. You've got to start to wonder what's going on with the coaching and what's going on in a big league environment. And they have the worst starting rotation in all of baseball. I don't think that'll continue. But, you know, if I'm sitting there and I own the Mets or I'm the general manager, and I, you know, Syndergaard being out is not enough for them to drop to that level. It's happened before. You remember 1999? Did the Mets make a change of pitching coach maybe to shake things up? Uh, why do you think that everybody seems screwed up here? It's not just bad luck. It's Unless they're all injured, which I don't believe. Something's going on. Something with how they prepared, I believe, and came into the season. Or something's going on that I just can't put a finger on, and the media hasn't either. No, it's tough to put a finger on because you have guys like, I mean, even DeGrom has struggled recently with um, command, and he's, He's not the type of guy that does. Um, Gazelman, like you said, he's another guy that has always shown great command and is just getting behind, getting behind in counts. Harvey the same way. I mean, obviously there's some other issues with Harvey there. So I, I think, like you saying, DeGrom and Gazelman are the two to look at that seem to be 100% healthy but just cannot seem to find the strike zone. Um, tough to point a, point a finger on it. Um, I'm not sure. The Mets are the type of team right now. Alderson with Collins and Warthin, kind of the the veteran crew there. I'm I'm not sure that Alderson's the the type that's gonna go ahead and fire Warthin um, during the season. Um, if they did, I mean, it's, it's they they got a pretty good guy to fall back to in uh, Frankie Viola in AAA. He uh, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't got a major league job yet. He interviewed for right. the uh, the Orioles job earlier um, this off season. Um, he's he's a guy that I mean I he's a guy that could step in and he's a major league caliber pitching coach. So if they do decide to make a change, that it's good to know that they have someone of his caliber at AAA that's worked with most of the, these guys that are in the Mets rotation. Well, he's worked with all the guys in the Mets rotation that are uh, coming up through and helped, helped them get where they are. So I, I'm not so sure the Mets would do it, but I, don't, I wouldn't see it as a huge step-off with having Viola as the option in AAA. That, that's, a great, that's a great point. Uh, managerial-wise, is there a manager in the organization waiting that you can see? And I know we're going way ahead here. But look, let's be fair. Terry's older. I, I think if they made a change, I see them more likely firing a coach because Sandy Alderson has done that before than fire the manager. Uh, I don't know how they will go, how many lengths they will go to save this season. I'm not sure this is a team worth investing in right now. That's the thing. I mean, I know they were supposed to compete. Is firing a manager, firing a coach helpful? We saw it, it, it can have somewhat of a cosmetic effect, but it can send a message. I think bringing in a Viola over a Warthin may have a, a somewhat of a positive effect because the pitchers are also screwed up. Maybe that'll, that'll take down this, this trying-too-hard narrative that they're pushing right now, uh, Terry and, and Warthin. But is there anyone in the organization? Is it Pedro Lopez? Is there somebody that 
I don't know if Dick Scott's name will come up. That doesn't excite me. But anybody that could be the next manager uh, in waiting, whether it be at the end of the year or or now if they want to make a change. What do you think about that? I, I've i been on the Pedro Lopez bandwagon for quite a while. He's To me, he's the Mets um, manager of the future, and I, it could come soon. It could come after the season. It Can he manage your bullpen to... better than Terry? Can he manage your bullpen better than Terry? That's, although Terry hasn't done a bad job with the bullpen the last couple of weeks. Someone must have talked to him, i got to tell you. Yeah, he, he really hasn't. And, uh, I mean, he's put full get on him, but he – He's put in a really tough spot with this bullpen right now. It's it's tough for anyone to manage a bullpen when you have the starters going four or five innings every single night. It's and then to have guys like Smoker, who they thought they were going to be able to rely on, who continued to struggle and had to um, go back down. So and Solace had his struggles too. So I, it's it's not an easy job when you have to use that bullpen as much. But getting back to Lopez, yeah, I'm he's. I like him as a manager. Um, everything I've talked to the players rave about him. Um, other coaches rave about him. Great guy, knows baseball. Um, as you see a lot in Major League Baseball right now, um, former catcher. He caught in the minors for a while. So um, he's he's the guy that I uh, was honestly surprised. I was kind of hoping he was going to end up being the bench coach. I thought that would have been a natural fit for him to kind of be the bench coach when Dick Scott got the job and just have him right there so that if there is a managerial change, he's already he's been on the coaching staff, he's been around the team and stuff, it would be um, a less of a transition, if you will, in my opinion. So that, that is uh, one move that I uh, question from the get-go. Well, we transition to one last topic, but before I let you go, um, the top prospects. We see Rosario and Dominic Smith. I mean, I think they're ready. Unless you have heard things about the process, uh, of the way they go about things that are making them AAA MVPs that will be 4A-type production in the big leagues, which I doubt, they're ready. Uh, now, Rosario, I probably think once they get past this whole Super 2 thing, unless they absolutely need him, and I know Cabrera is still ailing, uh, you may see him sooner rather than later. Uh, Dominic Smith, I would think, is more of a September guy, unless things get ugly and they wind up trading Duda or opening things up. Uh, can these guys maybe provide some kind of spark? I know they don't need offense. I mean, you always need offense. You don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, can these guys provide some kind of spark? I mean, we're all grasping at things that are intangible that really, in the, in the scheme of things, are not going to necessarily help a pitcher with his command. But uh, it seems like this team is just in a rut, and, and there's not that, that feeling that they're going to win. And sometimes a change, whether it be a coach or a prospect coming up, can help that a little bit. And I'm wondering if either of these guys can be that. Yeah, I think, I mean, Rosario and Smith are both doing exactly what you think they'd be doing in AAA this year. They're both hitting, hitting well, um, both playing well. Smith is playing really good defense. Rosario... Um, his defense has been pretty good. He still uh, he waits back on the ball a little bit sometimes and then rushes his throw. But, I mean, that's a pretty easy fix. The rest of his defense is pretty spot on. Um, like you said, Rosario seems to be the guy that, if Cabrera goes on the deal, is the guy that we would see earlier and Smith later in the season. I Both of them, if not major league ready right now, I mean, they're they're right there. 
they're right there. Rosario started the season off slow power-wise and has come on with that lately. So, I mean, that was kind of the last thing for him to show this year was his power to make sure that he was major league ready and Smith's doing what Smith has done the last couple of years and just hitting and playing great defense at first. So I, I, I'm not sure either of those guys, we don't see them unless there is a major injury, even if Cabrera is kind of just a 10-day thing. I mean, the Mets can kind of mix and match with Reyes, Reynolds, Rivera, and Flores over on the left side of the infield. So I'm not sure in a short-term thing this early in the season that's what the Mets would look to do. But I think if he comes up, Rosario, I mean, he's got enough speed that he's going to hit, even at worst, he's going to hit 260, 270 in the majors. And he's he's going to be a better defender at shortstop than Cabrera or Reyes or whoever they've had out there. So he's going to be a boost on defense, and that's for sure. So... I think I think ultimately we probably see Rosario sooner rather than later, especially Cabrera just can't seem to stay healthy right now. And that's not a knock on him. He's just a guy that tries to battle through it and doesn't want to go on the DL. Mm, it's, that's that's an admirable thing in this uh, day and age in, in the game. Can Rosario play third base consistently? I know they're, they, they're, they he was drafted that way, and they're going to put him back there, or is that wasting his talent? To me, I'm I'm not putting him at third base. Um, even if you do call him up and it's without a Cabrera injury, I'm putting Rosario at shortstop and Cabrera at third. Uh, even if Cabrera is not on the DL, um, he still showed much, much limited range this year. So I, I think Cabrera to third is, is the move. Uh, his range becomes less of an issue. He still has enough arm to play third base. Um, not that I don't think Rosario can play third. I, he's got good enough instincts, good enough hands, uh, good enough arm, everything. I, I don't have any doubts that he would be able to play a good third base. But to me, if Rosario's in the major leagues, he's he's the shortstop. And pretty much the end of the conversation for me with that is uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, last thing. So top prospects. Um... Give me a couple that are starting to emerge that you weren't expecting or maybe surprises or improving and a couple that have been a disappointment. But early in the year, six weeks, Brooklyn hasn't even started their season yet. But um, you're starting to hear some names, and it's the first time you could really see things crystallize. Like, usually I don't like to really get deep into the minor league talk until June 1st, but with obviously going on with the Mets, you have to. Um, what do you, you know? What do you have to take, and you know, what do you have to offer in, in in that vein with with that particular kind of question? Well, the first guy that jumps out is 18 um, year old shortstop Andres Jimenez. He started the year and extended in spring. Um, Columbia needed a shortstop, jumped right in, and the kid hasn't missed a beat. He's reached base in all nine games. Um, you know, actually, Mets fans got to see him a little bit in Major League Spring this year. The Mets were impressed with him enough that he got in a couple of games. And I watched some of the minor league spring games, and he looked 18-year-old kid out there, and he, he's playing in AAA uh, minor league spring games, and you, you couldn't tell he was 18. He just He's got a beautiful swing. He's got good hands at short. He just he, – he's – not a whole – a lot of 18-year-olds are as good as he is, and it's not just me taking notice. Uh, Baseball America just did their updated top 100 list, and he squeaked in at 97. 
So, I mean, this kid's 18 years old, and he's among the top 100 prospects in baseball. And for once he played for Columbia, that was the first time he had played stateside. He had only played in the Dominican Summer League last year. So for him to – he leaped over three levels and is playing pretty well. Um, staying in Columbia, two of their starting pitchers have been two of the best in the minor leagues, um, 20-year-old right-hander and Jordan Humphreys. Got 49 strikeouts and only six walks so far this year. Uh, he started out the year 6-0. and um, Fastball in the low 90s. He's shown a good breaking ball and the change-up's developing. He's a 18th rounder a couple years ago. Um, he's pitched really well. Could see him bumping up to St. Lucie pretty soon. Same way with another right-hander in their uh, rotation, uh, Mirandy Gonzalez. He had more of a prospect profile coming in this year. He was most People had him ranked in the 20th range in the Mets system, but uh, he's got a 1.88 ERA for them. He didn't even allow a run until I think it was the 29th inning that he pitched this year. So he's another guy with a pretty good fastball, good breaking ball. It's just um, once these both guys get to the next level, the, the command of the secondary pitches is what will uh, kind of stand out for them. So I'm, uh, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mentioned Patrick Mazika, um, catcher slash first baseman for St. Lucie, uh, leading the Florida State League in hitting, leading it in slugging. Um, he's just tearing the cover off the ball, hitting 372, OPS over 1,000. Uh, people like to talk about him a lot, and he, he's a little older. Um, he still does split-time catching. Um, I think ultimately he ends up at first base, which kind of hurts the offensive profile for him. Uh, he shut me up. I questioned his power before the year a little bit, and he's got a 6'11 slugging in a league that's not great for uh, hitters. So he's another guy to keep an eye on. If he can continue hitting the way he is, he's he's certainly going to be in the conversation to uh, be in Binghamton soon. So those, those are some of the kind of guys that have uh, – open eyes early this season. Um, Ricardo Cespedes, 19-year-old, no relation to Ioannis. Um, he just got brought up to Columbia and had three hits in his first game. He's a he's a top 30 guy in the Mets system, a toolsy guy that's still a little raw, but for a 19-year-old to get some exposure in Columbia and do well, is uh, it's something that opens your eyes, that's for sure. And here's the tough part. If a team, Toronto, let's say, wants to trade a Josh Donaldson, I'm just throwing names out there, or a star, and they're willing to take some of these lower-level, high-upside prospects, the Mets are going to have a tough decision come July. Do they want to invest in this team? Or do they want to just say, hey, let's see where this goes? Uh, and my guess is they're going to try to invest if Syndergaard is coming back healthy, if they really start to right the ship with the starting pitching. Uh, but to me, again, it's very early. I'm not convinced investing in this team and i'm not about punting on seasons but i just don't know if the investment will be rewarded just making the playoffs going a game wild card game in or maybe the first round i don't know if that's worth giving up an 18 year old jimenez uh for something hypothetically i'm not suggesting they're doing that uh for that unless you really feel you can make a run and, and i don't know right now and that that's the dilemma i think we'll be faced over the coming weeks uh, especially if they hang around 500, where you know just one run would put them in the second wild card or something like that. Uh, you know that that's where I'm at at least when it comes to these prospects. No, I agree. It's they're in a 
peculiar spot right now where they're just kind of hovering under. I mean, if the trade deadline was today, would you be buyers or sellers? So it's tough to think about that in May. But again, the Mets have so many guys, older veterans, that are going to be pending free agents. That's, that's something that you have to start thinking about. I mean, you have Bruce, Granderson, Duda, Walker, Cabrera, if you don't pick up his option. Um, Reed's going to be a free agent. I mean, these are all guys that possibly won't be on the team next year. And if you decided to be sellers, all of those guys are going to get you something in return. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the dilemma that the Mets will be in in another month, month and a half. You kind of see where it is. You hope that the pitching staff turns it around, um, that you know that Syndergaard's going to be back, hopefully. So um, Cespedes is back. So hopefully – Hopefully, in another month, you have a little more of a better idea of where exactly this team's going to be. It's just, it's so tough right now with the struggles of the pitching staff and the injuries to know exactly what to do once that time comes. But it's, uh, like you said, it'll be tough if you're hovering around 500. It'll be tough for me to rationalize giving up a guy like Jimenez for, say, like a, a. a bullpen arm that's only going to be here for a couple of months and you get ousted in uh, the wild card game. So it's, it's certainly going to be interesting to see where they end up towards the deadline. Cause there's, there's, I mean, this isn't a definite buy team. It, um, it could turn into a selling team. Not that I think it is right now, but it, it could with the veterans that they have. Absolutely. What do you got coming up? Uh, MetsMiners.net, MetsMiners.online.com. Obviously, you're you're in the heart, and the minor league season will be picking up. You got anything coming up that you want the listeners to know about? You know, things that you're working on, and you know, other things uh, you got in the hopper. Well, I just went and watched Binghamton um, in person. Watch a couple of games. So after I get off the phone with you, I'm typing up a couple of firsthand scouting reports on a couple of guys there, like. Uh, Luis Guillerme, uh, Champ Stewart. Um, so just a couple of first-hand looks at guys like that. And then the uh, draft is less than a month away, so we're going to start ramping up the coverage on Mets Miners and uh, Mets Marais to try to give fans a look at who the, mites, the, the Mets might take in the, in the draft next month. Well, interesting stuff. Well, you do great work. Always enjoy catching up with you. We tend to do it quarterly and uh or, you know, every other month or every six weeks, and I always learn a lot. So be well. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be checking out uh, your your work coming up towards the draft, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right, my friend? Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Mike. That's Michael Mayer, MetsMarizedOnline.com, MetsMiners.net. Always uh, get an interesting take from him. We'll be back. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with final thoughts right after this. Hey Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. MetsmerizedOnline is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. 
find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts here on the Talking Mets podcast. Uh, great stuff from Michael Mayer. Uh, interesting stuff. Had a lot to say. And, you know, I've cooled down a little bit, got into it there in the open. And and really, the real thought, forget about investment in the fans and all that stuff and the ranting about Worthen and stuff like that. Uh, you know, that's passion. And, and I still believe that's the statement I would make. And uh, I don't know when we're reading this. Hey, listen, maybe something will happen. I mean, as of now, nothing's happened. And, and I, don't, I, I don't quite know. Um, you know, what, what, what exactly uh, the Mets are thinking, what the Mets hierarchy are thinking here uh, when it comes down to, um, you know, the coaching staff and how quickly they can, uh, uh, you know, react or make a change. Maybe not. But Sandy Alderson, and, and, and I have always said this, you could really mess around when there's two wild cards and, you know, really find yourself. So it's not the end of the world, 16 and 20, but they got to, they don't want to fall more than four or five games on the 500. You want to be around 500. You can't be taken seriously as a playoff team under 500. The real question is going to be, like I said to Michael, is does this organization invest in this team? Because right now, investing in this team means maybe giving up some prospects. I'm not saying Rosario or Dominic Smith, but you heard some of the other prospects that down the road might be painful. And do you give those prospects up for another bullpen arm or a starter or guys that are just going to be here this year to sneak into the wild card, maybe win that game, maybe play in the first round? But do you really feel right now that if this starting pitching, this starting pitching has to go back to being who they are? It's not like this is a small sample size. Matt Harvey, you know, DeGrom, Syndergaard when he comes back, Matt, these guys have performed on a big stage and won big games. So it's not like they've never done it. If they don't go back to being who they are, then it doesn't really matter because the team is not going to win. And that's – got to see that before I invest. Now, the good news is you've got probably another eight weeks, ten weeks before you have to worry about that. So that's a lot of time. But it's going to go quick. It's already the middle of May. It's Mother's Day. June 1st is around the corner. By June 1st, you're eight weeks away from the trade deadline. And you got to start to see some improvement. And right now, I don't think that's going to happen under this pitching coach because I don't have faith that he can get the best out of anybody. Because quite frankly, unless that pitcher comes as a final product and, and within themselves develops, he's not assisting. Because his answer is they're trying too hard. That's the problem. That's the answer from Dan Worthen. And that's why I don't know if this is a team worth investing in. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, to tonight's podcast. Of course, I want to thank Michael Mayer at Mike Mayer MMO on uh, Twitter. Check him out at MetsMiners.net, MetsMarsOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. Check me out on iTunes. Leave me a review, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. 
I will see you next week. the high fashion hotline hi i walked the dog washed the car and took the kids to practice all that's left to do is get new summer clothes for my family just go to old navy old navy yep they'll love old navy summer styles and right now during old navy's thank you event get 30 percent off your entire purchase 40 percent off when you use your old navy card 40 percent off that's right don't have a card open one today in store and save like a super mom at old navy and old navy.com it pays to be mom i'm going to old navy now high fashion old navy valid 510 to 514 40 percent offer subject to credit approval see stores for details and exclusions support for this podcast Podcast and the following message comes from Upside.com, a new way to buy business travel. Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. That saves your company so much money, they're able to reward you in the form of popular gift cards every time you buy a trip. Visit Upside.com and use promo code TRIP to get at least a $100 Amazon gift card the first time you buy a trip. Save on business travel and get a gift card every time. Minimum purchase required. See Upside.com promo code TRIP for complete details. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.